0: Um, we are in 2 Samuel 11. All right, turn there. 2 Samuel 11. Um, let me again just kind of catch you up to speed, give you some context what we're doing. Um, we're making our way. We're calling this series Prophets and Kings. Simply, we want to just look at the life and ministry of David, essentially. Um, we've looked at 1 Samuel, which primarily focused on Saul being king and the conflict between Saul and David. 1 Samuel ended with Saul's death. 2 Samuel picks up with now Saul or with now David being the anointed king. So David is king. Uh, God says to David, I will build you a throne that will last forever. We see this Davidic covenant is what we called it. Um, This covenant with David that says, through you, the Messiah will come. The kingdom will come forever. David has an awesome heart for God. Uh, David's like, God, I want to build you a house. And God's like, no, I'm going to build you a house. Uh, David's like, I want to bring the ark of the the covenant back into Jerusalem. I want to bring it here back to the center of the people. And David just has a beautiful heart for the things of God. David is called a man after God's heart. David is that guy. We said this last week, and I want to just catch up to speed. David, at his best, is a wonderful picture of Jesus. David, at his worst, reveals our need for Jesus. So at his best, we're like, man, this David guy is a beautiful picture of just Jesus and how he loves and treats his bride. David, at his his worst, we go, oh my goodness, how we desperately need Jesus. We saw last week in, in 2 Samuel 9, this story of Mephibosheth. Remember that? Everyone say it again. That's because that was so fun. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And it's funny just talking to some of you. You're like, man, how come I've never heard that story? I've heard his name, but what was that? Like, this is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. We were once at odds. We were lame because of a fall. You know, we are in need, and we've been invited to this table. God has given us an inheritance. I mean, we have relationship continually forever at the table. It's just the idea is the gospel so clearly there. David's like, I want to bless God. I want to bless others. Now, here in 2 Samuel 11, we see the other side of David. There are two names that are synonymous with David, David and Goliath, and David and Bathsheba. And I feel like this goes down as just one of the most infamous stories. You know, one is great victory, right? David and Goliath, great victory. One is great defeat. It's crazy because David, who is just so victorious in so many different ways, like constantly defeating his enemies, basically his greatest enemy is himself. And that's who he loses to. Um, And this is such a picture of us. I think we can really relate to the story of David. Um, I'm very thankful the Bible includes the story of David and Bathsheba. You know, let's be honest, like, I, I love David. This is almost a weird text. I love David. I love his faith. I love he's a man for God's heart. I love that he loves the scriptures. He writes so many of the Psalms and just talks about meditating day and night on God's word. I love David. I love his integrity. I'm not going to kill Saul. And yet, this is where we see him lacking is his integrity. Like, I love all these things about David, and it's hard for me to go, oh, the David and Bathsheba story, the Uriah story. I mean, he commits adultery. He lies. He tries to cover it up. He commits murder. And really, the Bible tries to, like, pull no punches. I think, I think as we're maybe just throughout life, we say there's good people, there's bad people. And you realize, no, there's just sinful people, and there's sinful people who are saved. I mean, and it's, it's, there's, there's nuances, yes, there. And I want us to really learn from this. Um, we're not going to get into 2 Samuel 12. as so tempted. This is where Nathan the prophet confronts him. We're not We're going to wait for the next week. But we're just going to look at this kind of tragic story of David. And I, my hope is that, um, if I could just put it simply, this is such a wonderful chapter on, like, the theology of sin. It sounds weird. But this is, like, a, a chapter on, like, what is sin? What does sin do? How does sin corrupt? It brings up the question of, how did we get here? How did David get here? Where he's lying, he's covering up adultery, and he's trying to murder someone. How did he get here? And we see the progression of sin. And starts small, but gets big fast. And so I want us to look at this because, I, I, again, this is not like this applies to someone else. This, this cannot be that. Let me just say this today. It can't be like, wow, I would never do what David did. Honestly, what we have to see today is that this lies in all of our hearts. This is not like, oh, I can't believe David did this. I'm so disappointed that you and I could easily be here if we entertained sin the way he did. All right, so I want us to learn from this. It's powerful. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read 2 Samuel 11, the whole chapter, all right? And if you're like, oh, that's too much, too bad. I have a mic. We're going to read the whole chapter. Here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's just read the chapter. I want you to get like the big picture story of this. 2 Samuel 11. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sat and inquired about the woman, and one said, "Uh, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. So she's on the house, taking a the bath. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David, he uh, <laughs> sent word to Joab. He said, send me Uriah the Hittite, her husband. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to, da- to him, David asked him uh, how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Hey, how's it going, Joab? Hey, or, Uriah, how's it going? Then David said to Uriah, um, go down to your house and wash your feet. He's basically saying, go down, rest, relax, be with your wife. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, uh, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark is and Israel, and Judah dwell in booths, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. See the crazy integrity, of Uriah. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow, and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in in his presence, in the king's presence, and he drank, so so that he, David, made Uriah drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of But did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Don't be so mad you lost some other troops in the process. Uriah's died dead. Verse 22. So the messenger went and came and told David that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archer shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you. For the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That's a nice way to put it. It actually says in Hebrew, uh, it was ra'ach. It was evil in the Lord's eyes. Um, Let's pray, and we'll just give this time to the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you. Um, Lord, I really do see this as a warning for all of us, myself included sin so easily ensnares us. God, sin, I just know in my heart, can start small and grow fast. And Jesus, I, I ask that in my heart and everyone's heart say that we would not minimize, overlook, dismiss what it can do. God, how it can just, um, just ruin so many people's lives. And Jesus, I ask that you just wake myself, wake us up, wake all of us up today. God, help us kind of sit in this story for a little bit to see a a hero or someone we look up to in the faith and see them in this light. Help us really see you in a greater light today, that you are the ultimate hero that has no sin whatsoever, and that you took on our sin so that we could have your righteous life. And I just ask that, um, Jesus, you'd be seen, that you'd speak and you'd move and just wake us up to what you want to wake us up to. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We just thank you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Um, About five years ago, when we were in the process of church planting, I was on staff at a church, and we were sent out, and um, I had to go get a job, you know, church planting. And uh, while I was on staff at the church, someone's like, hey, you should maybe work at this company. It was called Red Rhino. Uh, Maybe you've seen the trucks, like a white van with a rhino on the side. um, But hey, you should work at this company called Red Rhino. They do, like, pool leak detection and repair. And, I, and if you're like me, I'm like, I don't know what that, I don't know what that means, but sure. Uh, pool leak detection. So there's basically two jobs at this company. You could be a guy that swims around a pool and finds leaks, or you could be the guy that fixes the leaks, which is like a lot of heavy physical labor, like removing the concrete and stuff. So I'm like, I'll be the guy that swims in a pool and finds the leaks. Um, and I remember just going through that process. It was so bizarre. Like the first test before you get hired is like, hey, here's um, just some, oh my gosh, here's a screwdriver. You guys know how handy I am. Here's a screwdriver. Jump into this pool and just undo the main drain. And I'm like, okay, that should be easy enough. And like the first time I jump in, and like you have to let like, go of all your breath. By the time you like sink to the bottom of the pool, you're like, you kind of want breath. So I like get a couple of you know twists and like go up for breath. And it took me, like 15 times. The guy's like, you should do this in one time. I, it's hard. It's hard. Um, he's like, I guess you passed. You did it. So You got the main drain off. And okay. So that was like the test. Anyway, so I got hired at this job. I worked there for a few months until the hurricane hit in 2017. Maybe you're aware of me or not. But long story short, there was a very weird and interesting job. I didn't know, and I still don't feel like I know a lot about pools, but there's like three months of training, and you're with someone the whole time, and they're kind of mentoring you through the process, and they give you a workbook. And it, there's, like, a science to finding leaks in a pool. You know, you can also get those, like, earmuff things and, like, listen to maybe leaks in the ground. Like, you put, like, I don't know, like, a, hi- a high-power microphone near pipes, and, like, oh, I can hear a leak. It's just, they train you how to hear it. Uh, they give you, basically, this little dye pen where you swim around in different spots, and now you kind of know where the spots might be of, like, see if you, you kind of release just a little tiny bit of dye. And if it sucks it in, you're like, there's a, there's a leak there. That was my job. That's what I did. We jumped in pools. And it took about two and a half, three hours per pool to find a leak. That's usually the idea. Like, that was our process. And I, I remember just, like, the first months. It was so, like, new to me, right? It just such an experience and swimming in pools and I don't know. It was, at, fun it was it, at first it was fun. And after a while you're like, I'm just sick of chlorine and I'm tired of this. Um, but I remember, like, we'd always get to, like, a homeowner's house. And they'd be like, I have no idea where this leak is. Can you find it? And the guy was like, oh, we can find it. They're so confident. We're going to find your leak. And it was fun because you'd actually see like in a matter of maybe like hours or days, depending on how large the leak was, uh, or how large the hole was, it would just drain a pool. Like, if you look at your bottom of a pool, let's say, and there's a main drain, if there's a leak there, I mean, it can just suck all of the water where the pool is completely empty. A lot of times there's leaks in lights, so, like, the, the, the pool might go down, like, halfway. If it stops halfway near a light, it's probably because there's a leak in the light. Just fun facts for you guys. Um, a lot of times it stops at the skimmer, and you're like, oh, it's I stopped at the skimmer, it's probably a skimmer or leak, whatever. Um, but it's funny, you would see, like, some, some pools just completely drained. And the homeowners would be like, I'm just constantly filling up. I'm spending hundreds of dollars on water filling this pool, and it's draining. Filling this pool, and it's draining. Can you please find this leak? And you'd see how, like, it started so small, but it would just drain, I mean, thousands of gallons of water overnight, depending on this hole. Something so small could lead to something so catastrophic. I mean, over time, too, the sun could bake it. It would, you know, there'd be other issues. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but there could be other issues that come from this. And the question was, like, how did this happen? How did we get here? Like, how did this small thing drain so much? And that was, like, always the question. And it's crazy how it starts out small, but it always leads to just big, catastrophic things. That question of how did we get here is basically the question I have for 2 Samuel 11. Like, how did David get here? I mean, the title today is simply um, Where Sin Takes You, Where Sin Takes You. Because the idea is, like, we see sin take David on this just destructive path. And if you're reading a story like me, you're like, David, what the heck, man? Like, how did you get here? You're sleeping with another man's wife. You're lying. You're covered up sin. You're trying to make it look like he's, you know, impregnated her. You're sending him off to battle to die. Like, you're learning to murder this man. You're telling Joab, Joab, don't worry. You've lost lots of troops before. You also overlook this issue, Joab. How did David get here? And here's the thing. It usually starts incredibly small. But a small thing over time can lead to just big, catastrophic issues. And this is the story with David. It's just so sad when you read this, you're like, how did this happen? Here's the thing we're going to see and what I want us to look at. Um, this is not just like, oh, I can't believe David, so disappointed David. I mean, we absolutely have to see the truth that sin lies within all of us. All of us are capable of this. This is not just like the really bad people are capable of this. Like, no, again, there's no like bad and good. It's we're all sinners and some are saved. And so the idea for us is like, how did he get here? And how do we avoid this, this progression of sin? How do we resist this? Like, how do we navigate those moments in our life where you're like at a, kind of at a cross bridge or you're like at a, you're at a trail and you're like, I could go either direction here. Like, how do you avoid this? And I think we can learn a lot from the story and that's what I wanna do. One author said this. He says, listen to this about David. He says, Satan will lie in the weeds for 40 years, for 40 years to entrap one of God's servants. He is patient. He will wait. And he will watch for just the right moment, a moment that will do greater damage to the kingdom of God. You know, here's the guy. Scholars believe David's maybe 40 to 50 years old, somewhere around there. Here's this guy, and it's like he's been living just this high-integrity life. I, won't even, I don't even want to touch Saul. I feel guilty cutting off Saul's garment. David just had such high integrity. David's the guy that's like, I can't believe you commit murder to this. Like, he was always just a, a, just a super high integrity guy. And here he is committing murder. And you're like, what just happened? How did get, How did he get here? So I want to look at like, kind of two points. So there's not really a lot for me to like, give sermon points. So we're kind of looking at act one, act two. Act one is this. Uh, the capacity to sin. Act two is uh, covering up sin. Look at this story in 2 Samuel 11 is kind of broken into two acts. The capacity to sin, and then you see the covering up of sin. Um, we have to see that all of us have this capacity to sin. All of us do. And then we can all be guilty of doing the second part, which is trying to figure out a way to cover up the sin. And then we're going to look at next week, just the idea of confessing the sin. But we're going to see Acts 1, Act 2. All right, so let's read uh, verse 1. I want us to see this. Verse 1. Here's what happened. Here's what went wrong. It says in verse 1, uh, I'll kind of summarize it. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings got to battle, David sent Joab. And it says, But David remained at Jerusalem. Um, the point is obvious. Before I get there, I want to say this the context is interesting. The context of 2 Samuel 11 is David is prosperous. He's doing really well. He's an amazing palace. He's actually getting victory after victory. Last week in chapter 10, he defeats the Assyrians and the Ammonites. Like, he's doing really well. Like, the kingdom is growing. All 12 tribes are under David. Things are prosperous. This is the height, you could say, of David's life and ministry. And many times, it's at the height or when things are going well, what can happen? We can forget God. It's just really interesting how um, a lot of times we'll think, man, maybe it's people who are going through it. They're bitter at God. Or when things are going well, uh, they forget God. Or when things are in the middle, you kind of get complacent. and You just forget God as well. Like, it's crazy. There's no safe spot, by the way. Let me just put it that way. There's no safe, like, place in life. We kind of always have to be, like, on guard. If things are going really well for you, just be aware. If things are going poor for you, or you might be developing bitterness at God, be aware. If you're kind of in the middle, be aware. You might be complacent. Like, no matter where you're at, (laughs) Right? There's this idea of like, we, there, there's just always an opportunity for sin. And we see that it's at the height, the height of David's kingdom, the height of David's life, what happens? It says in the spring, and you, you know this, you caught this. This is like, this is when people, this is when kings go to war. Your chariots don't get stuck in the mud. It's not rain, there's not snow. This is like when you fight. This is the time to fight. He sends Joab, he sends his servants, but he remained at home. I mean, the, the, it's very clear. David just kind of in this like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coast I'm just going to coast now. Life's good. Hey, I all that fighting stuff? I did that. I did that in my youth. I did that in my 20s, my 30s, I'm in my 40s, I'm in my 50s. I'm good now. I can send other people to do it. He's very like complacent. The word that you might hear a lot is like he's idle. He's just like I'm good. I don't need to be a part of this. Turn to write it right down this way, but the best way to fall is to become idle in life. The best way to kind of enter into this lifestyle, you could say, of sin is just like I'm good. Things are good. That can be a dangerous place at times. He's just very idle. I love how Warren Wiersbe said it. Uh, he said, idleness isn't just the absence of activity, for all of us need regular rest. Idleness is also activity to no purpose. See, David needed purpose in like his life. This was a big part for him. He needed to advance the kingdom. He needed to take over the land that God promised Joshua and Moses, the rest of the land of Israel. But in a sense, there's just no purpose now. It can be a dangerous place to be in, Uh, The gospel in Luke, Jesus gave that parable of the rich man who built bigger barns, and he goes, my soul can now take rest. There is this idea when you have no purpose, no direction, you're not seeking to be a part of something bigger than yourself or build the kingdom, it can be a very dangerous place to be in. Think about this too. This is also the place of like David's strength. David's strength was his integrity. It's crazy if you think about David. David was like different, man. David, again, is that guy that's like, I can't even touch Saul's garment. I feel guilty. Saul, I touched your garment. I'm so sorry, man. Like David had such crazy high integrity. And it's in his strength that's where he failed. It's usually in our strengths oftentimes we fail. This is something I want us to look at. We're going to talk about this a lot, but the Bible says, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Once you begin to think I'm good, that's usually when failure comes in. And I want to kind of shelf that idea because that's, that's so important to this. I'm good. That's when we fall. Oswald Chambers said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. David's unguarded strength, his integrity is where he fell. It's the same thing with like, Peter. Remember Peter? Peter's like, Jesus, if i deny you, I will not deny you. He takes out a sword, cuts off the guy's ear. You're like, oh, that guy's a lot of courage, Peter. Then this little girl's like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Because I don't know what you're talking about. Like, in his courage is where he failed. It's usually oftentimes in, like, our, our strength is where maybe it's, we're unguarded. We're not aware. Like, no, I'm good. As soon as you think you're good in an area, be aware that you're probably not. Let me just put it that way. As soon as I think, like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I dealt with that years ago usually that's a place where maybe you're now unguarded. There has to be this place of humility. David is sending out other men, but where is he? The idea is he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, isn't that interesting how sin works? Sin is actually really sometimes simple. The plan is not always very complex. It's like, how did, you, how did that happen? You're like, I shouldn't have been there. Like, that's just a simple way of putting it. David, how did this happen? I should have been with my men. He should have been leading his soldiers to battle, but he's leading his soldier's wife to bed. And he's, missed, like, he's missing it. It's like, I was at the wrong place, wrong time, Uh, Again, I'll put up here that David was in a place where he could be tempted. The simple way of looking at it sometimes is like, are you in a place where you can be tempted? Maybe you're just like, I shouldn't even have been in that place. You're putting yourself in a place where you can be. You know, um, sometimes there's a lot of emphasis, and I get this, to resist sin, which is necessary, which is important. But maybe it's just to flee from it. Like, to not even be near it. Like, we're told to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I get it. Like, we, there will be moments in life we need to absolutely resist, but how about before we even get to that close point, how about we're just not even near it? That's the issue with David. Like, he's just, ah, you're the wrong place, bro. Uh, or try to write it this way. It's far easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist sin. It's far easier to avoid being there than it is to resist. It's important to resist, but maybe just don't be there, you know? And the, the Proverbs talks about like this. It's like, can a man put fire into his lap and not be burned? He actually uses that verse in regards to, like, sexual sin. He's saying, can you put yourself in a situation and not get, what person's gonna put fire in their lap and be like, oh, but I'm not. No, you're gonna get burned. Like, don't even put yourself in that position. Like, David, what are you doing? Like, why are you even just putting yourself in that place? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Temptation and he basically elaborated on this idea and it's way more profound. It's a longer quote, bear with me. You're gonna love it, I promise. Here's what he says. (laughs) He says, in our members, in us, there is a slumbering inclination toward desire which is both sudden and fierce, Does that happen to him? Sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery of the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. In this moment, God is quite unreal to us. Wait to hear that. It's that moment of intense desire. You forget God. It's quite unreal to us. And Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with a forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and will in deepest darkness. It is here that everything in me rises up against the word of God. Therefore, the youthful lust, flee worldly temptation. If you're feeling under pressure and on the verge of something, an emotion is welling up within you. What does the Bible say? Run! No human being has within them the strength to resist such powerful emotions sometimes the only answer is run sometimes that desire is so strong you're like ah what do i do in this moment that's why it does say in the scriptures flee like run that's what joseph did Our, like we have the imagery Potiphar's wife is like lay with me rips off his clothes he's there naked he just starts running i don't know i love that story it's just so good he was like ready for it if she ever comes after me i'm just running man and this idea of like run sometimes and let's be honest guys we got to talk about it this way there are very real desires all of us have We cannot deny, if you have a certain proclivity or desire, I'm not trying to say you don't have that. You have that. But you can flee it. You can run. Listen, we live in a weird moment where it says, whatever you desire, you must do. Be the true you, man. Be true to yourself. If you desire it, you got to do it. And the scriptures are saying, no, there is this war between our soul and our members. Like, there's this war going on between my fleshly desires and the spirit. And the world just says, if you want it, do it. If you want it, if you desire it, that's a God-given desire, you must act upon it. Well, the scriptures say, no, you have a fleshly desire and you have a spiritual desire. And your fleshly desire is strong and it's at war with your spiritual desire. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is like talking about that same like, battle internally in Romans 7. He's like, oh, the things I wanna do, I don't do. The things I don't wanna do, that's what I'm doing. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The same person who saves us from hell is the same person who saves us from ourselves, and his name is Jesus. And the idea, though, for us is like there is a very, I don't want to ever diminish someone's real desire. If you're like, I have a desire for fill in the blank, this is obviously David's sexual proclivity. You could say today, like polyamory is maybe how they put it today for David. Maybe you have a certain bent sexually, and you say, uh, but this is my desire. Just because you have the desire does not mean that you need to act on it. Just because you have the desire doesn't mean you give into it. God calls everyone to deny themselves, pick up the cross, and follow Jesus. Not one person or one group of people. He calls everyone to deny themselves, pick up the cross, and follow Jesus. This is for everyone. This is not targeting one person or one people group. Everyone is saying, I'm inviting to the lifestyle of Jesus where your flesh is crying out, give in, give in, give in. And Jesus is saying, No, die, die, die. Die to yourself. Pick up the cross daily. Daily. This 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 symbol of death. Pick that up daily. This is the invitation we have. Who wants it? Who's in? You know, the gospel is so beautiful. I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone because of what he's done for me. And I love this thought, though, that though salvation is completely free, discipleship will cost you everything. That's what Jesus invites us into, discipleship. Salvation is free. Discipleship costs everything. Deny yourself, pick up the cross daily. This is what we're invited into. Listen Whatever your desire might be, because it could be so different. Like, there's so many people, our desires could be so different on the spectrum of desires. Just because you have the desire doesn't mean it's from God and doesn't mean you need to act on it. In fact, God is very clear that there's so many desires we have that are not from him, and we're called to deny them and flee them and run from them. And I want to invite you, like, again, this is such a weird thing. It's funny to me how as soon as we start talking about sex or money— Everyone I know becomes a Greek and Hebrew scholar. Everyone's like, oh, hold on, Josiah, but wait, in the Hebrew. I'm like, what? How do you know this? Come on. Like, you act like, come on. Everyone becomes a scholar right away. Like, oh, it's pretty nuanced. No, no nuance. Actually, really clear. Really clear. But of course, we get really like, oh, I got to tell you, but in the Greek, I never read this book. And I'm like, great. Awesome. You're wrong. Okay. Like, they're, they're, it's so, it couldn't be more clear how scripture deals with our desires. Our desires are every, and again, not one person, everyone. Deny yourself, pick up the cross daily, and follow Jesus. And, and let me tell you this: it's painful, and it's death to self. And when you die to self, it's painful, and it's hard. To, it's hard to say no to your desires. But it's weird how the Bible talks about through death, there's always resurrection. Through death to self, there's always new life. Through death to, of one will and one desire, God will give you new will, and new desires. As you delight yourself in the Lord, yes, He will give you the desires of your heart. But as you delight in the Lord, watch your desires become His desires. Watch what He loves, you love. What He hates, you hate. What he cares for, you care for. Like, we got to see in scriptures, like, God, you're going to replace, you make me a new creation? What does that mean? Old things that passed away, all things that, be, all, all things, yeah, all things, your will, your heart posture, your desires, like all things he makes new. And he says, come on in, you're invited into this. This is so counter, everything the world says is if you want it, you must do it, or you're not being the true you. And Jesus says, no, 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 if you want to find your life, you must lose it. The true the true you, you gotta lose yourself. Don't give in to yourself. You lose yourself, and then you'll find the true you. You lose yourself, then you find your life. It's so much different than what the world says. Whatever the world says, I just feel like whatever cliche statements out there, I'm like, ah, there's always a counter argument in scripture, I'm like, nah, a bumper sticker you know, cliche truths. So I'm like, oh, I have, I have great theology that can just, and it's, and it's so more, it's more life-giving. Because how many of you know that actually when you begin to say no and no and no and you resist and you flee and you go, oh my gosh, I'm seeing victory and I'm beginning to find like power and strength and how God, like God is not some cosmic killjoy trying to keep me from fun. Actually, if I do life the way he designed it, I have fullness of joy. Like at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is not just like I'm saying no to you because I'm just mean and I want to take away your fun. God's like, no, I know how I've wired you. I know how I've made you. And if you give into this, you're going to become a self-absorbed self-indulgent person and narcissistic person and it's going to lead you to a miserable life but if you lose your life and find it in me you'll find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in my name his name is jesus and we find that in him and i think here's what we see in david david has this strong desire and he gives in and i think a lot of people today would say good good for you david doing the true thing you're doing what you want but it's like no it leads We see he gave into his true desire and just leads to this path of destruction Peter says in First Peter 2.11, he says, I urge you, I urge you, I beg you as sojourners and exiles, like this is not your home, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. This is not your home. Fight against those passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. I know I, it feels like a war at times, Say no to yourself. If, it, it's not easy. I'm not trying to downplay it. It's so difficult. And I say there's so many things about that. We need each other in this process. We need accountability in this process. But can I tell you, God has given you a power to resist it. It's the Holy Spirit. That you can, there's no condemnation to to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That you are free, that whom sets us free is free indeed. And you can experience that power if you don't walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Here's what's interesting to me. I feel like in verse 2 there's something that happened. It says in verse two, I'll put the verse up here. It says, he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Right? Now, I love this because I think it's funny, right? He sees this woman bathing, her name's Bathsheba. That's an appropriate name for this woman. Um, I don't know if that, that's just my mind, but she, her name's Bathsheba. He sees this woman bathing and he says he saw her and she's very beautiful. She's very beautiful. Let me say this, and guys you know this, like you can't help, if you see a beautiful, you can't help what you see if they're like walking in front of you, but you can help looking again or thinking about it or dwelling on it. He saw her, but obviously he saw her. It's like he saw her. Oh, she's bathing. That's not, that's not mine. She's not mine. I'm gonna keep going. Like he's like, oh, I'm alone at night. She's alone. This is like the 3,000 year ago version of like browsing the internet. Like he's just walking around his roof, looking around like, oh, okay, there's one. Like he saw, it's different. And he sees her. And I want to point this out. This, and I, I had a this is the way like, I gotta look at read it, because it's better this way. Seeing Bathsheba was not the cause of David's sin, but it was opportunity for David's sin. He can't blame it like, well, God, if you didn't want me to do it, you would have put her in my line of sight. So it's obviously your fault, God, because I saw her. <laughs> like, This is not the, the cause of it, but it was the opportunity. And he really was at a crossroads right there. Do I keep seeing? Do I explore? Who is this person? Obviously, he did that. He's like, who is this person? He inquires of his servants. Now, I think verse 3 was like a turning point because if you notice the servant, I think they're like, David? Like, I want you to hear how the servant says it. Look at verse 3. Uh, the verse 3. Is, David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, uh, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Um, I, I don't think he's way more clear. It's like, oh, that's Bathsheba. He's like, no, no. You actually know her dad who fought for you, and he's going to turn against you now eventually. You're going to see that. And Uriah the Hittite, who's fighting in your battle. Like, you know who this is. She's a daughter, and she's a wife. Isn't it crazy how he puts that? Hey, this woman, she's a daughter. Like, don't forget, like, it's weird, guys. some has got to remember that. She's a daughter, and she's a wife. And like, that's what he's bringing up. He's like, okay, cool. He just, like, totally ignores it. He's like, bring her to me. Like, the servant's like, ah, do you know who this is? And, and misses it. And this is, here's why I want to bring this up. This is David. This is not some guy who didn't know the Bible. That's where it gets scary for me or any one of us who call ourselves a Christians. This is not like some guy who didn't know scriptures. Psalm 40 verse eight, this is what David wrote. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. That's the guy that did this. That's the crazy humbling thing to me. This is the guy that's like, God, I delight to do your will. And no, it's crazy. God's like, you're a man after my heart. That still doesn't change after this fact. He's actually told that, he's called that in the New Testament. But this is so bizarre to me. He's like, I delight to do your will, oh my God. And this is the guy that's like, bring her to me. I, wanted, I said this earlier, but I want to put it up here. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because this is why this is so important. As soon, like I, I think growing up, you kind of think like, I would never end up in that situation. I cannot believe they. And the more you go through, i like, oh no, I'm a filthy sinner. And my heart's disgusting and in rebellion towards God. And you know what? I don't want to think for a moment that could not be me. Because as soon as I begin to think that, take heed lest he fall. That's like the point. As soon as you think, no, 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 not, not me, not that person. Not, and this is not that person. This is, this is supposed to be reflected internally. Every one of us should be realizing that the kernel of sin lies within all of our hearts. The seed of sin lies within all of us. That this is not like, oh, I cannot believe, how did this happen? Like, we see this. This lies within all. If you think you stand, if you think you're good, no, no, I'm good. It's like, watch out. <laughs> as soon as you think you're good, maybe you're not aware of what's coming next. It's crazy because this was actually used, I love, there's a guy named C.E.M. Joad, or Joad, C.M. Joad. But he's this philosopher and agnostic who after World War II became a follower of Jesus. Because he's looking at Germany, he's looking at World War II, and he's going, how did an educated country that gave us like Beethoven and Bach, and like, how did this country end up throwing people in ovens? Like, how did this country do that? How did it, it, this wasn't like because they had bad circumstances. Like, they're actually getting, after World War I, it took a while, but they got some strength, they got some money, they got some power, they got a lot of education, and somehow these are the people that destroyed six million lives in the Holocaust. These are the people that went to war with the world, right? Like, how did these people get there? And this is what he says about this. He says, the view of evil implied by Marx and and maintained by modern psychotherapy, a view, this is the view, which regards evil as the byproduct of circumstances Therefore, circumstances which can be altered and even eliminated has come to see in the light of World War II and the atrocities as intolerably shallow. His conclusion is if it's just circumstances, that's a shallow view. Now, like, it's, that's not just circumstances. He's like, look at this. This, this lied in the uh, country's heart that you could say had everything going for them. The whole point of this is like you might look at yourself or outwardly and say, they will, David will never fall, I will never fall. We have to see, no, no, it doesn't matter if your circumstances are great, it lies within all of our heart to produce this kind of evil. And that's what we see happen with David. John Owen, the famous Puritan said famously, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's crazy because think about that. Um, Sin is either growing or you're working on crucifying it and starving it. Sin does not remain neutral. There's like, sin's very tricky that way. It's not like, just kind of sits there at like a certain percentage. It's like either growing or you're actively working on like shriveling it and killing it. It's like what you feed grows, what you starve dies, that truth. What you're feeding will grow, what you starve will die. Sin is either growing or it's dying. So either be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's his point. This is David. And David, so we know the story, he bites her up, sleeps with her, she gets pregnant. Act one simply was this, the capacity to sin, we all have it. Act two is this, the covering of sin. We're not gonna read all the verses. We read the story, but I want to point out a couple things. David has a few plans. He has plan A, plan B, plan C. Uh, his first plan, plan A, is have Uriah sleep with his wife. Like this is like a good plan in his mind. He's like, all right, I got her pregnant. Just, hey, Joab, call for Uriah, bring him out. You know, I'll kind of, hey, how's the war going? How's jo- is Joab doing a good job? He is okay, good. Why don't you just go home and you know just hang out with your wife? Like that, it's a it's a good plan for sin. Like he thinks this is good. Like okay, this will work, but he doesn't realize that Uriah is not like David. Uriah's like, no, no, I have something you don't have in this moment. He, Uriah calls him out. We'll look at that in a second. But Uriah calls him out. How can my men who are at war, I, how can I go to my house? You're in your house, David. And your so Uriah's like, ah uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not going to go inside and sleep there. So plan A fails, but I want us to see this. Um, it's a simple truth, but this is the point. David basically goes into damage control, committed sin. Now like, ah, uh, i got to fix this, like damage control. I think we've all been there in some capacity. Like, gotta fix this. Gotta do, like, PR. Gotta talk to this person. Like, whatever. He goes in damage control mode, and here's what Proverbs 28 says. You know this. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Well, we're gonna see the second half next week in chapter 12. David is not gonna confess yet. It's gonna take a while. It's gonna take a while. That's unique. Actually, that's really unique to David. I feel like David was really quick to repent. He's slow in this moment. But repentance is still Repentance. He still repents, luckily, while he has a breath in his lungs. We'll see that more next week. But it says, if you, can, if you uh, cover your sin, you will not prosper. This is what David's doing. He's trying to cover it up. How can I cover it up? And it's interesting this. That, that is kind of our first natural reaction when we sin. How can I cover this up? You know, I try to write it this way our man made schemes will usually be met with disappointment. Like he's like, okay, I have an idea. I'll bring this guy back in, see if his wife is great. It's like his man-made scheme, and it just, it just fails epically. When you have some sort of, like, man-made, like, oh, I can do this. I'll figure it out. It's probably not going to go the way you think it's going to go. And that's what happens with him. I'll, I'll figure it out. I can do it. But we keep reading plan uh, B, essentially, is he's like, I'll get him drunk so he can sleep with his wife. That's plan B. So plan A, just, obviously he'll want to sleep with his wife. I mean, she's Bathsheba. Like, he's gonna come home and sleep with her. Obviously, he's gonna do it. Oh, he doesn't do it. Okay, I gotta find a way. Let's get him drunk and have a sleep with his wife. Now, before he does that, here's what's interesting. Verse 11. I wanna put this out. When Uriah said to David, uh, "The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing." This is crazy because again, Uriah is so different. Like David's giving in to his desires. Uriah's fighting his desires. One is self-indulgent and one is like self-disciplined. So he's like, I'm going to be, David's like, I'm indulgent. I want to do this, I'm the king, I can do it, another's like, I'm not, I'm going to be disciplined in this area, there's no, I'm not going to do that, my men are fighting and dying, I'm not going to do that, I can't do that, David's like, come on, what's the big deal, basically, by the way, I have to give Uriah a shout out, because Uriah, um, by the way, he's not, a, is, he's not an Israelite, right, what is he, Uriah the Hittite, he's a Hittite, what is Hittite, I don't know, but we'll move on, here's what a Hittite is, though, it's not an Israelite, the point of this is saying he's not necessarily under this covenant with God, but he, he puts himself under this covenant with God. I actually believe Uriah was not his first name because Uriah is a Hebrew name. Uriah, Uriah simply means Yahweh is my light. Most likely this guy was a Hittite who became, he entered into that covenant with, it, with God. He wasn't born into it, but he entered into it. And he goes, Yahweh is my light. That's, and Uriah has been that. He's been a light to David. He showed him, no, no, what you're doing is in darkness. I'm going to show you the real way. So Uriah is a good dude. He has high integrity. He's like, you're in your house. I'm not going to go to my house. Our men are in the field. Even God, he does like, you know, David wanted to build God out of that house. Even God's not in a house. Like, there's a, there's a little bit, you know, words are being shared there. But he's, he's calling him out. And I just think that Uriah, honestly, is also giving David an opportunity to go, you're right. Uriah, right by what he says in verse 11, he should be like, you're, you know what? You're, you're totally right. What am I doing? I should be with you. I should be with my men. He's like, how could I do this? He's trying to be, and usually a lot of times what happens is when you see someone who's like, living a good life and you're not, you get angry, and that's what happens. Like, a, a lot of times when, like, you're, if you're in sin and you see someone call you out, how dare they call me out? I'm gonna double down on my sin. That's foolish. Don't do that. Da- David does that. <laughs> he, like, gets called out in his sin. He's like, oh, yeah? You won't do that? I'm gonna get you drunk. And you're super, nope, that doesn't work. He has to double down again. I'm gonna send in a battle. I'm gonna, I'm gonna murder you, essentially. But Uriah was entering in, and I love what one author said. He says, a Hittite is stronger. Refer to Ia, Uriah. A Hittite is stronger in upholding the law than the own king of Israel. Like, this Hittite was stronger in keeping the word of God than just the king himself. Uriah's a different breed. And then plan C was this. I'm gonna kill him and make it look like he dies in battle. David is willing to kill this guy than rather kill his own name or like give his name a bad, a bad reputation. I'm willing to go to this extreme to avoid me looking bad. I'm willing to kill this guy so my name's not ruining the process. I want you to see the progression of sin. Like when you read this, this is basically a story or a tale of how sin starts small and grows rapidly. This is him seeing a woman in the moment. I don't know if he's intentionally looking for it or not. Seems like it, maybe not. But he's dwelling on it, he asks about it, doesn't turn, gives in, sleeps with her, she's pregnant, he's calling people, okay, what should I do, bring him to me, let him sleep with her, get him drunk, let him sleep with her, he's not going to do it, okay, Joab, we lose people in battle all the time, just send him to a very dangerous spot, pull the men back during that dangerous moment, and he'll die at the hands of the enemy, that happens all the time, no big deal. And notice how he's just basically letting this sin progress and progress. Again, sin never usually starts massive. It usually starts small, but it grows incredibly quickly. Sin is like a weed that just can't stop growing. And it's not good enough to just, you know, trim the weed. I like, have to pull it out by its roots or it'll just continue to grow. And this is essentially what's happening with him. You know, it says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. This is a point I really want to make clear. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, uh, Paul speaking about this, he's speaking about sin. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, this idea of leaven leavens the whole lump. Jesus said this a lot in the Gospels. He's like, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Basically, he's saying, for them, for the Pharisees and Sadducees, there's like bad teaching or incorrect lifestyle living. And it it spreads fast. And people buy into it fast. And they buy into it. This little bit of sin just grows incredibly fast. And it's crazy how you can see that happen personally or in movements. Like a little idea can grow really fast. And it's probably a bad idea, but now many people are giving into that thing. And this is happening with him. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. This little sin got in, and it just spreads rapidly. And we have to see sin is like that. Again, sin can just grow fast. My point of, of bringing that up is just saying, um, if you have a small thing, it's probably not small. If you have a small seed or small thought or small desire, you have to treat it like it's already the big thing. You have to treat it like it's already reached its end conclusion. Usually a thought or desire or impulse, then we go, no big deal. No big deal. Everyone has that. You almost have to imagine or carry it out to its full conclusion. Sometimes the hardest thing is sitting down with people, and I have to myself included. I have to be aware of, you know, taking out this plank out of my own eye before I get a speck in someone else's eye, but when you sit down with someone, you're like, hey, listen, if you continue down this path, like, if you continue down this path, do you know where you'll be? Like, you need them to see the big picture sometimes. Like, David, if you continue down this path, this path of lying, hiding, covering, it ends up leading to murder. Like, sometimes, like, David probably didn't foresee or plan on murdering Uriah the Hittite. He probably didn't have that, that probably was not his original desire in all this, but yet it got there. It might not be your original desire to get to this dramatic, dangerous place, but it's possible it can get there, if not killed early on. That is like the point of this. That this will grow incredibly fast. But here, can I put this out too? I love this actually. This idea of of leavening the whole lump quickly. This is used a lot about sin. Sin is like leaven, it grows fast. But I love this, because Jesus says, you know what also is like leaven? The kingdom of God. I want to read this, Matthew 13, 33. But he says, the kingdom of God, or heaven, is like leaven. And Jesus actually says, you know what I told you about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how a little bit of sin or leaven grows fast? In the same way, the kingdom of God is like leaven. And when you also get a little bit of that, that can also grow fast. That can also grow incredible. Given to that. And I love that idea. I don't know why, just for me, like, reading through this, thinking through this text, I'm like, I love that thought of, like, what am I feeding? If it's sin, it's going to grow fast. If it's the kingdom of God, it's going to grow fast. Like, it's like leaven. It can spread, and that's a beautiful thing. So what are you right now feeding? Like, what are you catering to? What are you spending time meditating on? What are you planning on doing next? Is your mind thinking about how I can get away with this next thing, or is your mind thinking about, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God in this big way? Because whatever it is, is, you're like, it's gonna, that thought will grow into a desire. That desire will grow into an action. So the idea is like, what is that going to lead you to? So my, my thought is like, right, right now, what are you feeding? Because what you're feeding will grow, what you starve will die. So what are you feeding? Are you feeding that sinful nature? It's going to grow fast. It will take you down a path you had no desire to originally go down. I don't know how many Christians I've met and talked to where it's like, I had no idea it would lead me down this path. A terrible conversation I had with someone recently where it's, it's just awful. It's it's heartbreaking what's going on in their lives. And it's like, I had no idea that one thing would take me down this path. My point of it is small things can grow fast, fast. But so can the kingdom of God. So feed that. So can God's kingdom. So can like just who he is and what his his kingdom come, his will be done. And not just fast, but deep with substance, with roots. Feed that. We have to be aware that David's story is not like, oh, this is just David never could happen. If it happened to David, it can happen to us, right? We get that, right? No one's like, I'm better than King David. Like, no, no one up to this point has thought that. Like, David's been like 10 for 10. He's just been crushing it, except for some line. Either, But he, that, he's been crushing it. And it's like, oh, and I'm not trying to diminish his line. That probably was have led him here. But I'm just saying, like, he was crushing it. And then here he is, committing murder. What is that? A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink, let me say this. He says this, sin is insatiable it is never satisfied. Its nature is to drag us lower and lower, getting more and more daring in its opposition to God. And but for his recovering grace, it would carry us down to hell itself. How many of you actually agree with this? How many of you know that sin is insatiable? Do you know this in your heart? Like, I can say, oh, yes. Sin is, it's never fulfilled. It's never happy. Like, you're just never like, okay, I've had enough sin. It's usually creating like a deeper void and longing for more. Sin is insatiable. because goes, it takes you lower and lower. And but for the grace of God, it takes you to hell, he said. The whole point of this to me is um, kind of like the very beginning. There but for the grace of God, go I. Like the whole thing I have to see from the story is, if it wasn't for the grace, I-, I know I can be, and it's possible I would be there if not for the grace of God. There, go I- like, there has to be this humility of like, I don't want to think I stand, take heed lest I fall. So I need to know, like, I need to daily, daily plead grace and go to the cross and go to Jesus and say, I know my heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. I know that. So therefore, I have to be honest and say, God, I can't pray, God, you know my heart, because that means, yeah, you know my wicked, disgusting heart. Yeah, you know that. So I have to be very aware of like where sin can take me, where sin can take you, and again, kill it while it's small. It's a lot easier to not even be in that situation than to be face-to-face with it. Like take it out while you can, yes? This is so key. Here's one of the things um, I want to just bring up and end with. Paul said in Galatians 6, he says, Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He says, If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life. Like, don't, don't be deceived. I, I, people like you talk to, like, no, no, no. God would never punish someone for their, con- for their sinful decisions. Like, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. What are you sowing, you're also going to reap. You're sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You're sowing to the Spirit, you're going to reap life. He's like, so beware. What are you sowing? David's about to reap corruption. He's been sowing some bad seeds. Will God forgive him? Yes. Will there still be consequences? Yes. Does God love him unconditionally? Yes. Does he have to face the death of a child? Yes. There's still some consequences with the sin, but he'll still be forgiven. He'll still be loved. But here's the point of this, and I want us to put it up, like, end with this main thought. Sin always brings death. Guaranteed, bottom line, scriptures from beginning to end, God's like, the day you do this, you're gonna die. Sin always always brings death. David's sin sadly brought the death of an innocent man. David's sin brought death. An innocent man had to die for David's sin. Do you hear that? An innocent man had to die for David's sin. In the Old Testament, you go, that's Uriah dying for David's sin. For us, the new covenant, an innocent man still had to die for our sin, but he willingly died, and his name is Jesus. Sin always brings death. It brought death for Uriah. Ultimately, David will die. Sin brings death. It just does. But the scriptures say, but hey, sin did bring death. An innocent man did die for our guilt. An innocent man did die for our sin. But in his death, it's different. In his death, it brings life. Because his death was willingly, and his death was a sinless death. So there will be another innocent man who will one day die for David. There will be a future innocent man who dies for David. His name is Jesus. And that's the only way, that's the only reason why David could be called a man after God's heart. Because sin brings death. And we have an innocent man named Jesus who died so you and I could live. I want to read this in Romans 6. He says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages, your earnings for sin. Like you do sin, like it's like you clock in for sin. You're clocking in, going to work on sin, Here's your payment, death, okay? You clock in for sin, you get death. But the gift, it's not clocking in, it's not work. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You clock in for sin, you get death. But there's a gift, and it's eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can know this. I can know that We need this. We never graduate from this. No one ever is like, I'm good on sin. I've conquered it, Josiah. No, 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 I'm sorry. Like, Jesus conquered sin, And there's there's this humility of I need to walk in the light as He is in the light. First John is all about this now. It's like okay, in light of that, Jesus conquered it. Now walk in the light as He is in the light. If you walk in the light as He is in the light, you have fellowship with God and you have fellowship with one another and fellowship with the Son Jesus Christ the righteous. You got to walk in light. There's this idea now of like okay, great, yes, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe absolutely. Now walk in the light as He is in the light. Don't think for a second you couldn't be David. Don't think for a second this is for someone else. This is the if you're sermon proof like (laughs) you know those people right? The sermon proof. This is not for me. It's probably for you. Okay. <laughs> this idea that no no, the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin always brings death, but the gift of God always brings life. And that's found in Jesus Christ our Lord, and you can know that. Through one man sin came. Through one man death came to all. But in many in Christ all will be made alive. Are you in Christ? Through one man came sin, but through another man came life and resurrection. And his name is Jesus, and you can know him. And I'll say this again: this it ends with this because this is a. It just says Dave God is very displeased with David. It said what David did is evil in eyes of God. It ends there. We'll pick up next week, but I want to sit in this: an innocent man died for a guilty sinner, and that is Jesus ultimately for us in a better way. This innocent man who died for me and you, guilty sinners, willingly, and in a sinless way, completely. And I want to say, no, Jesus. Receive this free gift that's found in him. Even if you've been a Christian for decades, you don't graduate this. Who can deliver me from this body of death? thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The same person who saves me from hell is the same person who saves me from me, and that needs to happen on a daily basis. Yes. Can we just go to Jesus? Can we worship? Can we pray and say, Jesus, thank you. I, I am the David. I'm, I'm the person who can let sin grow if unchecked. If I entertain it, it can produce a a lot of disgusting things in me. And I want to learn from this story. I want to go to you. I want to kill it while it's small. I want to not let it go. I want to grow. I want to go to you in this process. So let's just kind of spend some time. Will you bow your head, close your eyes, just spend a moment. Why don't you just thank Jesus? Jesus, thank you that you as an innocent man died for my sin. Jesus, thank you that you paid it all. Now all to you I owe. Jesus, there is no one like you. I would be lost without you sin always brings death guaranteed but guess what our sin was placed on jesus and now we can have life the wages of sin is death there's no doubt but the gift of god is eternal life in jesus christ our lord you can also have that in jesus so we just pray and thank him father we just want to say thank you there is no one like you god that you saw us you know you know my heart it is wicked (laughs) you know my heart It's far from you, and yet you promise to take out my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. And yet you promise to regenerate me, to open my eyes, to to let me have new life. And God, I just want to say thank you. Um, Lord, I know my heart is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But God, thank you that you are the shepherd who pursues the sheep. Thank you that you will leave the 99 and go after the one. God, thank you that you are the greater than David. God, that you are the greater than Uriah. That all these stories create this longing for, but who can do it? Who can be sinless? And it is found in you, Jesus. We say thank you. That the, the law, the scriptures are a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It's a teacher to say, uh, you could never do this, but Jesus did. And we just say thank you. Or thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son. Thank you for life. Jesus, we just want to praise you. We are lost without you. We are nothing without you. And we thank you that in you, we have eternal life. That, God, you're not see Josiah grazed in the filthy sin, the sinner that I am, but you placed on me the garment of salvation. That, God, you placed on me a new life. You said, my son's righteousness is given to your bank account. My son's perfect life is placed on you. And we just say, thank you. We embrace that. Not by works of righteousness we are saved, but by your love, by your grace. And we just say, thank you, Jesus. Help us again to learn from this. Help us uh, sow to the spirit so that we can reap life. And we ask this Jesus in your name, amen. So I want to say this, we are gonna worship, but if you want prayer for anything, if you wanna talk, if you wanna say, I need Jesus, we are up here, all of us need Jesus and we'd love to pray, talk, encourage however you can. Why don't you guys stand and let's just close out and worship the Lord.